Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Thursday, May 14th. At the start of the pandemic, we heard about cruise ship passengers being removed and flown back to their own countries. But what about all the employees on board those ships? We hear the personal story of a Canadian who's been floating at sea for more than two months. Alberta is going ahead with its relaunch plan today, except of course for Brooks and the city of Calgary, which are still under some restrictions. Global News reporter Lauren Pullen joins us with an update on the limited reopening for our city and how a trip to the mall will look a lot different. While working from home may be a very different experience, we hear from a University of Calgary scholar who says taking breaks during your workday, even at home, is still important to promote productivity and prevent burnout. A lot of Albertans are spending time gardening while practicing social distancing, but with the entire nation doing the same, could we see a shortage in gardening supplies? We catch up with Merle Coombs of Spruce It Up Garden Center. And finally, it's a high-tech solution to a basic human need to connect. We hear about how one Canadian nurse is ensuring patients can still keep in touch with loved ones while they're hospitalized during the pandemic. 6.10 on your Thursday morning, and there are hundreds of cruise ships floating at sea right now with thousands of crew members still aboard, stranded because of the pandemic and desperately trying to get home, including hundreds of Canadians. Sherry is a Canadian literally just removed from a cruise ship off the coast of Manila, and she joins us now. Hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. How long Happy have you? Oh, how long have you been stranded at sea, and what's your situation right now? I've been stranded for two months, and my situation is I'm sitting on a bus waiting to go to the uh, airport to take a flight to the UK, where all the Europeans and all and all the North Americans are all flying together on a charter flight, and then we're all being dispersed from the UK. Sherry, what was the thought process when they removed the uh, you know passengers of the cruise ships? Was it the, the thought that you guys might be uh, sailing again soon? Like, why why weren't the employees removed at that same time? Uh, well, we were in Australia, and the government literally last minute just said, that's it, get everybody home. We even uh, cut our crews short. So I think at the time, nobody knew how long uh, we would be on hold, whether it be a couple of weeks or whatever. So I think it was a matter of just nobody knowing because this is a new situation for all concerned, as you know. I'm sure nobody expected it to be more than two months that you were out there. Were you starting to run low on things? I mean, you're, you're at sea. No country will take you in. Were, were things starting to, to go bad on the ships? <laughs> uh, uh, yes, I ate uh, a few questionable vegetables, there's no doubt. Um, but, I mean, we were fed, so was it great? No, but we were fed. But we were running out of things like um, detergent to wash our, our personal clothes, and and uh, toothpaste was definitely in a high demand. <laughs> So I'm sure uh, that you folks uh, look to your employers, but uh, it's beyond that. It had to be government intervention. Uh, you, I'm sure that b- between you and your coworkers, you reached out to the government. What were they saying, like, e- even weeks ago? Well, um, I only really started speaking to the government a week ago, and because we weren't really in any danger, um, I don't know that there was necessarily a lot that they could do for us. Really, each government in each country makes their own rules, so it's difficult to... And when nobody even lets you dock, it's um, it's challenging for everybody, of course. 
because the countries didn't want any extra people or having enough trouble controlling it in their own country, I'm sure. How desperate was the situation getting on board these ships? We've heard about multiple suicides by staffers over this time. Uh, I know of five in the last seven days. Um, not in our waters, thanks. Well, it doesn't matter. I'm not thankfully, but not in our waters. And um, I think a lot of the ships were completely under quarantine, so these these young people, especially, were in cabins by themselves, and uh, uh, they can get very lonely and feel very isolated. What did you do to pass the time, Sherry? Because you say it's been a couple of the months. <laughs> uh, you know, you don't have passengers. What were you What were you folks doing? Uh, we walked in circles a lot. <laughs> Our gyms were open, but they were they were restricted to how many members, and there was definitely social distancing in there. And uh, we traded hard drives with a lot of uh, each other, and so we could get different movies. And and uh, yeah, I'm lucky I was here with my husband. So I would imagine it's been a, a pretty a lonely time, and, and you just want to you just want to get home, and it seems probably so far away. So right now you're on a uh, a bus, you're in Manila, the the Manila government, they have your passports and you're all just waiting to see what happens next? We just got them back, so we're on our way to the airport. We're just pulling out now. En route to the UK, are you? Uh, do you have any itinerary or any idea of, of what your next stop? Are you going to come straight from the UK back home to Canada? Yeah, oh yeah, we have our tickets. We have our tickets. We're flying home uh, Air Canada. Will you cry when you land in Canada, or will you just be desperate to go and, you know, have a, a banana and some fresh fruit? <laughs> Sherry, will, will you cry when you land in Canada? Are you there? I think we might have lost her. Might have lost her. Yeah, you know, I've been texting. The hardest thing is never... Go ahead. Sorry. The hardest thing is never knowing when you're getting off. It's a, you do feel isolated. You feel very alone. Um because you never know when you're getting home. When you get home, this has been, uh, you know, your profession, working on a cruise ship. Are, are you going to go back, or are you going to take a different path after this uh, experience? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, that's a good question. It, it, it's not the... <laughs> I don't know. Probably, we think we'll go back, depending on how well they manage the, the epidemic. I mean, we don't want to put ourselves in harm's way either. First thing you do when you get home to Canada, what is it? I don't know if I can say that on the radio. <laughs> Just kidding. I want a banana. <laughs> Fresh fruit and vegetables, right? Yes. Yes, more than anything. Yes, definitely want that. I want a banana. Well, we're so glad that you are Crazy finally off the ship and uh, and will be safe uh, back in, in Canadian territory soon. So be safe, my friend, and uh, take care, be careful, and let me know when you get home finally. You know I will. Thanks so much. We appreciate all the love and support that we've had from uh, from the government and our friends, actually. It's been it's been wonderful. So thank you. Okay. We're happy to come home. I bet you are. Thank you so much. That's Sherry. She is a cruise ship employee, one of hundreds of Canadian employees on board. Hundreds of ships that are still around the world right now. Uh, she sent me a video just the other day. They were off the coast of Manila, obviously, and there were 23 ships 
that we're all in the same area. Everybody just sitting waiting to find out when their countries would allow them to come home or if and how that would even happen. The unfor- the, the forgotten ones, because, uh, you know, Sue, we did again weeks ago to uh, chronicle the uh, tourists making their way home. It wasn't until this weekend uh, that you would have been in touch with your friend on a Monday morning who said, this is happening. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, how many other people, have, uh, again, the thousands from across the globe, still on their way to get home, having been, been on a cruise ship for two months. You can imagine that kitchen would be a little barren at that point. 8.49 on the morning news. Alberta is going ahead with its relaunch plan today, except, of course, for Brooks and the city of Calgary, which have somewhat restricted guidelines when it comes to their relaunch with more we're joined by lauren pullen global uh, global calgary reporter good morning lauren good morning andrew i understand yeah you're spending some time this morning at chinook uh, center is that right I have been. Uh, it doesn't open until 11, but I've already seen a uh, pretty steady stream of employees uh, walking through those front doors there and lots and lots of deliveries in the loading bay. So they are definitely getting ready to reopen. Are they all wearing masks? And were you able to talk to anybody about maybe concerns or okay with going in to start work again today? Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of masks. I definitely did see people with them on, but not every single person by any means. And I mean, there's there's cautious optimism, right? Like we, there are guidelines and protocols that are in place that the, the retailers are definitely taking into account. But I mean, it's kind of just a waiting game at this point in time to see how it all unfolds. Whereas the malls are able uh, to open, what are you hearing as far as the percentage of stores that will be accessible and will actually be opening their doors on day one? Yeah, that's really case-by-case basis. A lot of people that I talked to did say that they were going to continue to press pause at this point in time just because they don't know what it's going to look like. So potentially watch how it is unfolding and then play that game of wait and see in the meantime. Uh, Bigger picture, though, like restaurants we were talking to yesterday, even a lot of them before hearing the news that they couldn't open had made that decision because, as we know, dealing with that safe social distancing and all of the added practices that would have had to be put in place uh, would have been difficult. Do we think that it's going to be a busy place at the malls today? I I would assume so. Are, aren't you eager to go to the mall? <laughs> I, what are you thinking? On a normal day, yes. But right now, <laughs> I don't think I want to be one of the first ones to be, you know, going in and hanging out at the mall. You know, like there, there are more and more cars here. It's it's hard to find a spot at Chinook at the best of times. Yeah. Uh, I don't think that you're going to be fighting over the spots <laughs> at this time by any means. But but who knows, right? I guess, uh, as we mentioned, it's not going to be the hairdressers that are open, so it's not like we're banging down the doors to try and get those roots covered up. So do you really need that tank top at this point in time? But I don't, I don't know what other things people are running out of right now. <laughs> and if you're going to the mall itself, for example, uh, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of retailers choosing not to open. It will look a lot different due to the uh, protocols for social distancing and even down to perhaps the food court. It's not going to be the same, is it? Yeah, it's not like a sit down, hang out and chat and and even make a a bit of a day of it. The advice is know what you need to go for. Make sure that it's a need that you need to go for, just like we've been saying with everything else. You're not going to the grocery store every single day just to pick up one thing at a time. And if you do have that item that you do need to get, know where you're going, get it and then head out. And certainly to wear a mask, too. I mean, the, the province, the, the health minister here in Alberta and federally all suggesting strongly that everybody wears a mask when they do go out. And it could just be because 
I've been here since 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning. So when people were walking in earlier in the day, they hadn't maybe pulled it out of their bag. I just caught them as they were walking out of their car, right? Uh, so no I'm not going to throw people under the bus saying they're not wearing masks just maybe not right at 8 a.m. when they open their car door. <laughs> That's fair. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren. Thanks so much, Sue. That's Global Reporter Lauren Pullen. Well, our next guest is one of the world's top healthcare supply chain experts and has been warning for years medical networks had to be updated and digitally enabled. It wasn't until COVID-19 that now she's finally being heard. We say good morning to Ann Snowden, Scientific Director and CEO of Supply Chain Advancement Network in Health and Professor at the University of Windsor. Good morning, Ann. Good morning. Talk to us a little bit about what your warning was specifically leading up to coronavirus. Um, Prior to the the pandemic. It, uh, a lot of research and evidence from many global jurisdictions really revealed that our supply chains are very disconnected and not digitally enabled. That means in any country or province or territory or state, there is no digital infrastructure that connects all the different organizations and supply chain teams to know what products do we have, where do they come from, who made them, what are they made out of, which are really safety issues uh, is where I first started this work, and how many are we going to need and how quickly. So it's really just a, it's like driving a car, only you can't see out your windshield. It's the same with a digitally enabled supply chain. If you don't know where your ventilators or your masks or your gowns or your gloves are, then you can't know who needs them and who's going to need them urgently versus others. And that's that was really the outcome of the research. And I, again, I wasn't doing the research for pandemics. I was actually doing it for safety. How do we know if a product fails? So if a patient happens to go through a surgery, has a new knee replacement, for example, and that particular device fails, how would we know that and could we contact that individual patient? And the answer to that question is we really can't. Mm. Because if you don't have visibility to know where your products are, where they came from, or who received them, it's a different problem, but a similar solution. And you mentioned your research started uh, well before the pandemic. So for how long has Canada had an issue uh, with, these, uh, with this system? I, I would say it's not unique to Canada. I've been in this research space for about 10 years and really trying to brace the, um, you know, the area of need and why this matters. Uh, much of my research has also demonstrated that it's not just about making sure you have supplies in the pandemic. In fact, it's actually cheaper and more efficient if we have digitally enabled systems, like any business sector, right? If you do things manually, it costs more money. Um, So I've been, well, probably sharing these outcomes in cost and quality and improving safety um, for about 10 years. So who was the pushback from, or, or did people just not acknowledge that there might even have been a problem? Were you hearing pushback from provinces, from the feds, or, or really yeah, not much at all? It's a really good question. I get that question a lot. Like, how, how could anybody not have figured this out, right? Um, it's really an almost an out of sight, out of mind, I think. If you don't really have an urgent pressing problem today in healthcare, for example, five years ago, and people just said, yeah, you know, it's very interesting and that seems to make sense but I have other priorities or other things that there were more urgent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, healthcare is big and complex and we all often have different urgencies or pressures um, in, in any jurisdiction. Canada is not unique in this. Um, I've studied uh, the network I lead is in six countries and none of them have made 
uh, with very few exceptions. Alberta is one of the very few exceptions. They are much more digitally enabled uh, than almost any country I have found so far. So they're very much a front runner, and they've, as a result, done very well compared to other provinces in this um, pandemic. And there's one couple of U.S. systems that are close, uh, also doing quite well, but it's it's pretty rare. Most health systems just kind of missed this uh, infrastructure strategy because um, lack of awareness and knowledge. We don't teach supply chain to our health system leaders generally. It's a business school expertise. We use it heavily in retail and manufacturing, airlines, travel, you name it. Supply chain is extremely well-developed. Grocery, one of the best, one of the earliest. Um, but we, we're not, we're, it's not top of mind. It's not an area of expertise. Many health leaders realize or understand the strategic value of it, but they do now. Thank you so much uh, for sharing your story, your research, and your time this morning, Anne. Thank you so much. That is Anne Snowden, Scientific Director and CEO, Supply Chain Advancement Network in Health, and professor at the University of Windsor. 8.12 now, and research shows taking micro breaks when you're working from home is extremely beneficial for so many reasons. Let's look into what those reasons are with Dr. Lisa Belanger, postdoctoral scholar at the University of Calgary's Haskane School of Business. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. So, so many people working from home now. Why are taking these micro breaks so key? So we can't hold a cognitive load for a very long time. So we either take unconscious breaks or conscious breaks. Unconscious breaks, you can think of something like if you're working on a report and then you switch over to social media and kind of absentmindedly scroll through. Those are not effective for brain recovery. Conscious breaks and deliberately setting time to do things like be out in nature, move, mindfulness, connect with other people, just enjoy a cup of coffee. Those deliberate breaks have been shown to either be null um, or positive for both productivity and mental well-being. Lisa, do you think this might surprise some people because it's working from home and it's not in a traditional office setting? Well, we have to be much more conscious of it, right? So the idea of like walking to the coffee shop and grabbing a coffee or going to a colleague's office or down to the boardroom or going to a meeting, those have all been taken away from us. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting in front of a screen and we have to be much more deliberate. And when we set that those up, uh, the other thing is we are sitting more than ever and extremely um, uh, there's an extreme decline in physical activity. So just with that, that, that um, impedes our brain's ability to function and when we need it the most, right? You talked about brain recovery. Can you explain exactly what that means and, and how that process works when you take a break? So it's, it's kind of like for athletes when they have those active recovery days and they know they need that for them to build muscle and to uh, appropriately train and not burn out. Same thing with our brain. While it's not a muscle, of course, it does require uh, recovery to be able to function at its best. And oddly enough, we're never really taught how to recover. Is it important to keep your eye on the clock? I, I'm thinking that, you know, getting the right amount but not uh, leaving the <laughs> the computer behind for 90 minutes. So, uh, yeah, there's not like this a perfect time in which we're supposed to take breaks. Um, it's it, for everybody it's a little bit more individual um i know for me it's about 55 minutes i probably set a clock to it Uh uh, when i need a break so knowing yourself and kind of exploring what that means and um breaks can be as short as three minutes to like 15 minutes to really provide that recovery so it doesn't have to be a lot 
Um, but just making sure that those are planned and deliberate and getting up from your desk uh, and going to move around. And that's really something bosses should know about too, isn't it? I mean, as we see so many employees at home, they should be reminding folks to, you know, make sure that you are taking that quick little break, even if it is just a fast one, but uh, reducing errors, better productivity perhaps. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And the problem, I guess, with breaks when it comes to behavior change or supporting the behavior, so few people reward breaks. They reward long hours. Mm -hmm. And we know all the science says the opposite. And I guess so. I I agree. I think the bosses should take this into account and do a little bit more to promote it. And I guess maybe uh, you could even consider using that Zoom or that FaceTime other than a business chat to just uh, say, hey, listen, I'm going to talk to a colleague, but perhaps not about a project for 15 minutes. Absolutely. Like that water cooler talk that just isn't happening anymore, right? Right. So scheduling that in to have informal conversations. I do that with my team at least once uh, a week. We get together or part of us um, for an informal coffee just to chat. It's a smart idea and, you know, our kids are distracting us at home, maybe other things too, but that's not necessarily the break we need. So give yourself that micro break. Things will be better for everybody. I love it. It's great advice. Thanks, Dr. Lisa Belanger. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. Uh, Lisa is a postdoctoral scholar at the U of C's Haskane School of Business. 649 and with the May long weekend upon us, we need to worry about a few things, but I'm guessing ticks were not high on your list. Let's find out if that is a concern for us here in Alberta. We're checking in this morning with microbiologist Jason Tetro. Hi, Jason. Hey, how you doing? Excellent. Thanks for joining us. Are are ticks really a big deal here in our province and, and do we need to worry about it this weekend? Well, the funny thing about ticks in Alberta is that, um, you know, while everybody else is concerned about two, uh, one particular type of tick, and, and that's the one that houses Lyme, uh, we have a couple here in Alberta that always seem to be causing problems. Um, one's called sort of the black-legged or deer tick. That's the one that, like, nobody wants. But the wood tick is something uh, that we do continually seem to find. And if you look at sort of how the um, uh, surveillance has been going, um, you have been seeing sort of an increase, especially in the Calgary area, uh, in terms of uh, the number of these ticks that are being given to the public health authority. So yeah, I mean, ticks is definitely something that you should be thinking about, uh, especially, you know, when the weather is starting to get warm and you're, and you're finally kind of like going outside and going, oh, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jason, this might be a dumb question, but is it, is it more so like in the deep woods or can you uh, find it ticks being an issue within a city? Oh, you know what? That's it's so weird that we always think about it, you know, well, we're going out for a walk in the forest or, we're, you know, we're, we're out in the, the countryside. Yeah, you're going to find ticks there. But more, more recently, what we've been seeing is that the ticks are coming in. And I don't know if you've seen this, but in the recent past, we've seen animals coming into our urban communities. Well, many of those animals, like little rodents and even songbirds, will carry ticks with them and then just leave them in our backyard. Oh, lovely. So how do we, do we, do we search ourselves when we come in every day? Do we, do we check the kids? Is it something we need to really be aware of constantly? Well, we do this in places where it's like really, really, really bad. And, and I'm not going to, you know, count on some other places in, uh, in, in Canada for that, Halifax. But what will happen is that when you come in, especially if you have been outside for a long period of time, it's always good to just give yourself that once over just to make sure that, yes, indeed, there are no ticks on your clothes and definitely not on you. And how about your pets? Uh, Can the pets have an issue with ticks? 
Uh, pets can potentially have a problem with ticks, but the thing is, is that when it comes to protection for them, you need to be using things that are designed for dogs and cats as opposed for humans. And of course, with humans, you know, we all know what we use. We use uh, the long clothing and we use that spray that has DEET in it. And uh, a perfect example of that would be something like an off deep woods tick, which actually is designed specifically for ticks. Jason, would we see the tick, like if we're looking at our, our, our kids, say, or, or checking on their skin, would we see it? Would we have no problem seeing it with the naked eye? Yeah, the, the thing is, when you're looking at the skin, um, you should be able to see sort of a little dot that doesn't look right. Um, and you may, you know, if you need glasses, you might mistake it for a birthmark. But if you're also sort of giving a little bit of a feel in that area, you'll be able to feel that bump. And then if you give it a closer inspection, you should be able to see those little legs. And if you see those little legs, what you're going to need are those tweezers and some really careful, careful extraction. Uh, now I've got the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> oh, come on. We do have... Look, it's, it's part of our nature it now. Is. Ticks are there, and we know. We've known for decades how to stop them. We've, we, and, and the fact is is that if you get that deep with something like that off deep woods tick, it's going to give you mm-hmm. what you need to be able to stay safe. So don't be worried. Just be prepared. Good stuff. Well, thank you. Uh, very timely. Uh, had a long weekend. Thanks for your time, Jason. Hey, it was no problem. Take care. That is microbiologist and the germ guy and the host of the super awesome science show, Jason Tetro. You can find him online at jasontetro.com. Coming up on 7.50 on your Thursday morning, and uh, we're ahead of a long weekend, so st- uh, time to start thinking about maybe your gardening supplies. Staycations are likely for most of us this summer, and gardening supplies in other provinces are being snapped up pretty quickly. Could that become an issue in Alberta, too? Joining us with the inside scoop is Merle Coombs, president of Spruce It Up Garden Centre. Hi, Merle. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. So uh, uh, tell us what you've been hearing in your industry. Well, we a bit of... Uh information coming from the we, what we have is a flower auction it's sort of similar to what they do in holland but we have ours in vancouver where a lot of the local growers of bedding plants and cut flowers they send them to the flower auction in in vancouver they call it the clock and yesterday some of the veggie 606 packs typically going for 11 12 dollars wholesale um we're doubling in up to 25 dollars wholesale so so I uh, and so far we've secured uh, with our growers and the people that we've been working with we, we seem to be okay but the temptation I think is going to be there if a lot of these growers don't want to ship their stuff all the way to Alberta and then get double the price right there I think we're going to see some of that and we're seeing it it started about three or four weeks ago in New Zealand we were seeing reports of the independent garden centers just being inundated and we're, we, we are definitely seeing it here in Alberta already. So, mm. A desperate situation, Merle, because I'm sure that even now, you know, January, February, nobody had any idea that this was going to be an issue. So it's such a fluid time for you guys. Oh, absolutely. And then a lot of growers, we didn't know what was going on. Like a lot of growers stopped producing plants too. They just stopped the seeding and stopped doing it because people were canceling orders. And then all of a sudden, the whole thing changes. And it's ours isn't just like a SKU number, like a product, like a widget. We actually have to seed it, grow it, get it ready. So it's it's a little different than just out of a factory, right? It's so it's they're 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 going quick out there, and we're getting stuff out. And this worked out really well in some parts because the timing. A lot of the plants are a little bit smaller, which is actually perfect right now, heading into our May long weekend and for for our region. So. 
So it looks like prices will be higher, but what are some of the things that we should really expect, perhaps a shortage in them specifically? What do you think? Uh, make sure if you, if you need your soil, make sure if you, if you get your soil, your bedding plants, um, hanging baskets, um, totally sold out for some of the growers already. Um, veggies especially. Everyone wants to grow their own veggies, yeah. which I, I get it, but I totally, at some part I don't understand that 100 because there's lots of veggies in the store. So I think it's still nice to grow your own, but I, it, it's, uh, we're it's- all... It's our need Here. to hoard, Merle. We hoard toilet paper, and now we're hoarding vegetable seeds. incredible and an essential service because uh, for many it's essential for mental health to get out there to the garden for Mm -hmm. sure thank you so much merle we appreciate it yeah no worries it takes you away for sure so happy gardening happy may long weekend and the weather looks great and if you do want to go to the garden center school closer to the end of the day the the times are slower if you don't want if you want to avoid some of that peak Mm -hmm. time so and early in the morning so thank you so much merle coombs president of spruce it up garden center online at calgarysgardencenter.com our next guest saw how lonely some of her patients were in the hospital she wanted to do something to help them stay connected to the outside world we're joined this morning by the brains behind the ipad on wheels clinical nurse specialist at vancouver general hospital jennifer tabamo hi jennifer Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. First of all, thank you so much for what you're doing. It's so important to all of you and your coworkers on the front lines trying to keep everybody healthy during this crazy and difficult time. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's talk about your iPad on wheels. Good creative job for you. Explain to us what this is and what it's being used for right now in BC. Yeah, so the iPad on the wheels was originally a part of a program that I have launched last year called the Sepsis Initiative. Um, In my observation, we as healthcare professionals are highly skilled in treating the acute illness, which is critically important in our patients' recovery and healing. But I also wanted to include the introduction of tools that can help promote holistic care that shines a light in our patients' wellness while being in the hospital. So really, the iPad on Wheels is a proposed solution in providing tailored activities, promoting leisure, alleviating loneliness, boredom, social isolation, as well as promoting comfort for our patients in the hospital. Okay, Jennifer, you saw there was a need. This is filling the need. But I'm wondering, did you have a technical background? Uh, How did you uh, put the pieces together to, to, to make this a piece of machinery? No, I don't have a technical background. <laughs> I am a nurse by profession. Uh, the project was really inspired by my colleague and mentor, Dr. Lillian Hung, when she launched the same iPad program to help uh, care for patients with dementia. Um, 
really um, the the thought behind it is integrating the iPad into the patient's care plan. So what we mean by that is originally before all the COVID-19 happened, we were um, personalizing activities like setting up calming music or helping our patients watch classical movies while being in the hospital because they are feeling a sense of restlessness and anxiety. But then the project morphed into promoting more of a social connection outside of the hospital world when COVID-19 happened. Jennifer, that's what I wanted to ask you about. What's the response you're getting from patients? Are, are they loving this? Is it, are you seeing a difference in how they react and, and interact with this? Oh, yes, most definitely. Uh, my patients find comfort in seeing familiar faces of their families and friends. And, you know, in the hospital, our staff are fully covered with PPEs, and they can appear intimidating or even scary to some of our patients, older adults or those who are with specialized needs. Um, And so our patients, you can see their smiles, their words of gratitude, or even when there's a language barrier, you can definitely tell in their body language and gestures how thankful they are because now they have a way to see and be with their families outside of their room when they are isolated there. Jennifer, a great project. Uh, Thanks for the work you do. We appreciate it. Thank you. That is Jennifer Tabamo, clinical nurse specialist at Vancouver General Hospital.